DPS on the Grid. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. Aaron, how are you doing today? Quite chipper today, Dylan. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. And joining us today, we have Josh Gould, the Utility of the Future and Innovation Hub Manager for Consolidated Edison in New York, and a judge at our upcoming event, Start at ETS in San Antonio, which you can find more information about at start19.co. Josh, thanks for being on the show. How's it going? Oh, uh, it's great. I'm I'm thrilled to be here today. Thanks for uh, hosting me. Absolutely, and we're excited to have you judging our startup competition start at ETS next month. Uh, what are you looking forward to seeing there? I think just generally, there's a, a an acknowledgement in our industry nowadays that you know we have some very tough challenges and tough problems to solve, and we don't have all the best ideas, and we need fresh eyes, fresh perspectives fresh talent, fresh approaches to uh, solving and addressing some of those challenges. So it's going to be great to get other pairs of very talented eyes looking to solve some of the challenges we have. So uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, So START is all about giving smaller innovators a chance to create new ideas in our space, not just with the prize money, but also by getting face time with big utilities and groups and companies that can help them deploy at scale or to reach bigger markets. So in that spirit, uh, what have you been doing at Con Ed in New York to help foster that same culture of innovation? Yeah, so uh, a number of different programs, whether it's in our our, our group or other groups, um, some of the cool things we've been working on is um, an electric school bus charging project uh, up in Westchester, up in the suburbs. Um, so uh, take take uh, children to school without any of the diesel fumes. And then uh, in the summertime, we um, have those school buses uh, deploying their, their batteries back to the grid to port the grid. We have a, a ongoing automatic metering project. So we're installing smart meters for our customers. So I curbside charging initiatives, offshore wind. Uh, we're, we're our, our company is the second largest solar developer in North America. We did, started a, a, a battery. We're going to uh, procure 300 megawatts of, um, of energy storage. So there's a long, long list. And a lot of that is kind of our state and city and, and local partners. It's a pretty forward and, and future-looking group. And we're doing our very best to try to lead uh, that process to help uh, our partners achieve you know, policy goals, city and state goals. It certainly keeps us busy, but I think it's an interesting challenge. And, and I think the last thing I'd, I'd add is one of the things that is not always obvious to folks who don't work in our industry is that, sadly, it's not uncommon for employees to you know have safety incidents and to not always go back home in the shape that they that they came in. We work with commodities that can be deadly, and so improving our um, employee safety, improving our public safety, is a big focus for us as well. And I think I'm excited about some of the things we're doing there as well. Can you tell me real quick a little bit more about that that bus program? I've I've not heard of that. That sounds really interesting to me as someone who rode the school bus every day as a child. And while some may say those carcinogens made me the man I am today, uh, I'm I'm interested in uh, what that project is like. Dylan, I was, ac- I was actually going to ask the same follow-up question because I've been so focused on transportation electrification recently on the Tesla road trip. And we actually spoke with uh, David Owen at Centerpoint Energy down in Houston, and he did mention a similar project deploying e-school buses, but I would love to hear more as well. 
Sure. So it's a pilot project up in Westchester County, uh, which is to the north of uh, New York City. I guess the first thing to say is it's not always obvious to people. Most school buses are run on diesel, and you know a lot of those fleets are pretty old, which means it's kind of, it's a little bit scary if you think about it. But our children um, are subject to some of the emissions that come from those uh, diesel school buses. So you think of socks and knocks and all sorts of nasty things. So, and in a addition, you know, people talk a lot about vehicle to grid. However, to have a meaningful impact on an electric grid and the size of kind of scale of greater New York City, um, you know, a, a couple passenger vehicles, frankly, just isn't going to cut it. And so the idea is to kind of help solve uh, or address these issues at once. So you have electric school buses. Keep in mind, school buses are not being used as much in the summertime. Um, the need for electricity is peaking. People are turning on their AC. And so the idea is, well, we can provide our school children a safer, improved, and more environmentally responsible ride to school. And then when they're off enjoying their summer vacation and when our grid is uh you know, when our, when, our electric, when our electric needs peak, we can uh, position those school buses as essentially grid assets and deploy them for a uh, vehicle to, to, to grid or bus to grid, B to, B to G, uh, just, just made that up on the spot there, um, uh, <laughs> supporting our distribution grid and um, reducing, you know, at the margin our, our demand. And by the way, you know, in the summertime when our demand is peaking, a lot of the, the supply that's servicing that, it tends to be more carbon heavy and so double the environmental impact there so we're really excited about it um, we've got great municipal partners up in westchester that are helping with it um, so so more to come on that we're talking about this this school bus project and you just mentioned some of the the value stacks associated with it but i think a lot of the times with new technologies and new types of projects like this within utilities the model of innovation kind of almost stifles it from being, you know, commercially available and more more widespread. So what about the model of innovation and partnership needs to change in your view to make these technologies more widely available and usable? Yeah, great question. So, you know, we are and our team here um, at Con Edison, big believers in the need for and the value of what I would call commercialization innovation. Very simply, that's the idea of where you get from one device or product or service to many devices or products or service. And I think there's a very big emphasis on the technology work necessary to get to, yes, I've proved that this device or product or service works. There has been, I think, relatively less focus and an increasing acknowledgement that we need more focus on how do we move, if you're, if you're thinking about impact, you need many, you don't just need one. Um, and if you're thinking about achieving city, state, federal environmental goals, again, you, you don't just need one, you need many. Um, and so I think there's increasing acknowledgement and focus on you know, how do we drive towards um, and how do we kind of bridge this? And they always talk about the valley of death. There's many, I would argue, there's many valleys of death. But you know, one of the big ones is you get from one device and how do you get to 
to many. So that involves a, a number of different components from if you're, if you're building something kind of manufacturing at scale, it, it certainly involves kind of product market fit. So is your product or service adequately addressing the needs of the customer? And in many cases, when you go from one to many, you find out that what you thought you were providing or what you thought customers wanted wasn't exactly, you didn't get that exactly right the first time, and therefore you need to change some features in your product to, to fully address those customer needs. So that's something that it feels to me a little bit that it, it's maybe a new frontier for our, our industry, or at least now the, the subject of increasing focus, which I think is a really great thing, because again, if we're focused on impact, um, yes, we need to continue to develop new technologies. Yes, we need, uh, we need technology innovation, but if we're really focused on impact, we also need to focus on how do we get from one to many. That's really what we look for from a commercialization standpoint. Yeah, and it's especially urgent when the when the aim is to reduce cytotoxins in our children. So it does, it does suggest that there needs to be a better refinement of the process. So actually, have there been technologies or solutions that uh, you know have been promising, but you've had to pass on because they don't meet these standards for commercialization? So uh, to, to very briefly answer your question, the answer is yes. Um, and if I were to generalize on what the theme is, so you've developed something that's kind of cool technically and things fail from a commercialization standpoint, I would say they fail generally on two key criteria. The first is you were far too focused on the technology and you never adequately determined whether this is something customers want. Um, sounds obvious, but you know, you'd be surprised how much we can we as an industry can get enamored with cool new widgets and technology and don't maybe um, appropriately ask or test um, you know, whether that's exactly what customers want. So I'd say that's one. The other, and this is you know relates to the challenge around commercialization and innovation generally is um, in that one-to-many process. Um, there's, you know, it's the corny saying, but but you need a village. Um, it really does does take a village. So typically, there's not one entity that can execute the entire one-to-many process. So oftentimes, again, you need a manufacturing partner. Um, you might need you know what we might refer to as a go-to-market partner. So who's actually selling it? Who's kind of getting the product or service through through their existing channels or customer relationships. And I think the partnership piece is very, very difficult. There's there's many more ways to fail with the partnership piece than there is to succeed. So that's why a lot of things die. So commercialization, innovation, definitely a big deal. I think a lot of things drop off even if they work technically. And again, if I were to generalize, it's really around customer validation and you know the partnerships necessary to, to, to really get you to market. New York City is some village to have in regards to this, but what are some of your best practices for starting that partnership piece? Yeah, so a lot of the things that we talk about seem, maybe they seem obvious in in retrospect after, you know, you've made plenty of mistakes, which which I think we all have, but um, <clears throat> We see one really common mistake um, uh, is not fully and adequately defining the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, and so, you know, I think what happens is again we get enamored with what widgets, um, and we get enamored with um, people externally who are proposing products or, or services to us, and we don't spend enough time. You know, what exactly is the problem that we're trying to solve? And it's sort of like the concept of measure twice, cut once. 
once you really get rigorous and spend a lot of time and engage with all the people internally and externally that you need to to, tr to truly define the problem, then you can go out and access the village, um, utilize and leverage the village to say, this is exactly what I need. I've, I've defined really clearly what problem I'm trying to solve. I understand very clearly what subset of that problem I, as you know, a utility, am, am capable of solving, or uh, you as a vendor are capable of solving. And we take this kind of circle of what constitutes the problem. We take your little subset of you know what problem you're trying to solve, and then we really clearly define. All right, that's the part of the you know the circle. That's the part of the problem that uh, that we really need help with. And here's exactly what we want. Here's exactly what we need. So again, um, that sounds master of the obvious, but um, I think it is an area where where it's really easy to come up short because um, we're we're not really clear on what we need uh, or what we want, or maybe different folks have a different idea of what we want and we haven't aligned on that. So that's an easy place to fail as well as being really clear on, on what the ask for partners is. Dylan, I don't know, this may be a stretch for you, but do you remember, I believe we were talking about, um, we were doing a podcast, one of the first first episodes we did, um, and we were talking about our experience at Distributech. We were, you know, just talking about the observations we had and what stuck out to us. And one of the common themes of that conversation was that there was a lot of just technologies available. But after talking to utilities at the show, um, we found that they just didn't really know, you know, what exactly was the right fit. And this was two or three years back now. But the reason I bring it up is because I do. it, it speaks to the culture that Josh is talking about um, not solving for the right problem or solving for a problem that is maybe just a smaller subset of a larger problem. Um, so I think it's, you know, really interesting that we're still seeing this be a very large barrier uh, to utilities today because we have to start to think about, like you talked about, Josh, really kind of this cultural change and this change of thinking on how you, you execute on in innovative projects. But I guess my question for you, Josh, would be how do why do you think how do you think we kind of got here? You know, what what mm. contributed to this um, you know I guess approach to innovation? What do you think it is? Yeah. So yeah, I I actually have thought about this a lot and I have an answer. Maybe this one isn't the master of the obvious one. Maybe this one is is uh is something that's a little controversial. My take on how we got to such a, a blinkered um, view on like how we solve problems and such a enamorment with technology um, without without focusing enough on the problem that we're trying to solve is in one word actually diversity um, that is my answer um, and I don't mean that only in demographic diversity though clearly I think as an industry we we need more of that I mean diversity primarily which is related to demographic diversity but diversity in thought diversity in our approaches to problems there's all sorts of research that gets at you know a team with a kind of multifaceted background is much more effective in solving problems they come up with much more creative uh, approaches and solutions and I think as an industry this is changing by the way I do believe this is is changing, and we've seen a lot of great, great changes here at Con Ed. But I think as an industry, there has been a little bit too much of hiring the same people with the same backgrounds, the same. Uh, in many cases, educational institutions, the same mindset, tra changing, training them in the same way. 
and then we sit back and wonder wait, why do we have these continuing problems that we haven't solved? It's like, we need fresh approaches. We need fresh people. We need fresh ways of looking at the problems. And, you know, I can point to, I can point to a bunch of examples outside of our industry where a lot of the best ideas come from adjacencies. So, you know, you've been solving problem X. Well, look at like problem Y, which is kind of closely related. And, oh, can we, can we apply what we're applying to problem Y to problem X and, you know, get some kind of creative approaches there and or look at what Apple has done, um, you know, in developing the, the iPhone. Um, <clears throat> you had, you know, everyone wants to talk about Steve Jobs and his background, but you had people, you know, with a with a kind of like de- design mindset looking at that in addition to your hardcore traditional kind of technologists, in addition to, um, you know, software developers um, and folks like that. And uh, I think that's another great example of where you can bring a multidisciplinary and kind of diverse ways of thinking to a problem, you get much better solutions. So that's my answer in a word. You know, why why have we been stuck for a long time? My answer in a word is actually diversity. I think that's fantastic. And so one of the things that we've seen utilities do to, you know, introduce more diversity, thought diversity within their organizations is implement uh, these rotational programs for new employees where they can, you know, try out different areas of the utility. And also maybe they can take their experiences along to those different groups and start to break down some of those silos. Do you guys have anything like that at, at Con Ed? We do actually. So a lot of the, um, in fact, I would say the majority of um, people who start their career at Con Ed um, enter through something we call the GOLD program, which is, uh, in fact, I don't remember what the acronym stand for, but it's a it's a cool word. And essentially, these folks uh, come in typically fresh out of undergrad, out of college, and they do um, three rotations, typically of six months each before they, um, before they sort of graduate to a full-time position. And I think that's been very helpful. A lot of our company leadership and folks in senior positions have went have gone through the gold program um, so that's a really great way of um, you know training people up and you know that's worked I think that's worked for us and is, is helpful to you know building a culture of innovation here the other thing I'd say though and this is not something in my opinion that's um, specific to utilities but a lot of companies and a lot of different industries are building you know you got to use but like if you're if you're having a podcast we got to use buzz buzzwords so one of the buzzwords is you know as agile um and that's a, like you know a methodology and approach to solving problems but um one of the things i think is underappreciated about that sometimes is often those teams are again to use another buzzword cross-functional um so if you have a single department typically with people with a single background trying to solve an issue, again, you often don't get the best solutions, but where you can build a a team, you know, and maybe it's 20% of people's time or something like that, but from a variety of different departments who have a variety of different experiences, um, oftentimes you get a you know, you you generate a better solution to that problem. So that's kind of the same, you know, approach to solving it. And I think I think a lot of the things in utilities, not just Con Edison. In fact, I'll say it like this: you know, organizationally, I think our 
our most difficult challenges, the things that are hardest to solve, um, do not fit neatly into a single department. Um, and so they require, it's not just that it, they would benefit from, they often require uh, you know, diverse backgrounds, diverse skill sets, and people from a number of different departments. Um, and so again, that sounds like, that sounds very basic, um, but uh, but I think it's a new way of approaching things for utilities, and I think we're seeing a lot of this. As, again, it's not just just Con Ed. I think we're seeing a lot of this, um, you know, develop at, at utilities. So um, I'm I'm pretty bullish in our in our collective ability to sort of uh, you know change and and improve. And I think a lot of the things that I just mentioned, you know, if you talk to utilities. Um, there's a growing acknowledgement that you know we need diverse diverse people, diverse diverse backgrounds and skill sets, and you know these kind of cross-functional teams. Executing it is difficult, um, but I think we're we're moving in the right direction. Uh, so, what solutions are you prioritizing right now when you're looking at? You know, connecting solutions providers to manufacturers. So we, we've got a number of different projects here. Um, you know, some of the kind of interesting ones we're working on involve safety, um, and so we have a um, we have an employee here um, who developed a, a very interesting safety device um, that go that basically goes into switchgear. Electric switchgear has what, what we call a cubicle, basically a crawl space um, where you do uh, maintenance. And this employee, it's a really inspiring story. This employee actually had a, a close friend um, at a previous job pass away um, from a accident that happened when that um, when his colleague was uh, doing uh, maintenance in a, uh, a switchgear cubicle. Um, and so he developed this uh, device that um, protects employees when uh, they're doing this this maintenance. <clears throat> Um, and we built um, what, what I'm biased, obviously, but we built what I think is a very cool prototype of this device. Um, and we've proved that it works. We've worked with um, uh, uh, our partners at Kima to, to test the device. Um, but we are uh, not a manufacturer, nor do we have any designs on becoming a manufacturer. Um, and so, you know, speaking of commercialization innovation, what we're working on for this particular effort is to find the right partners to build this device at scale, um, to, you know, initially provide it to us at scale so we can use it in all our switchgear cubicles, but also eventually to sell and, and use it with other utility partners so that basically, I mean, without exaggeration, so that we can save lives. Um, so that's something that that's really cool that we're working on. I think it's a good illustration too of what we mean by commercialization innovation and what we're uh, you know example of what we're looking for when we we talk about partners. There certainly have been you know bold strides and attempts to improve worker safety across you know the whole utility energy landscape. For instance, when uh, Aaron and I again were on the road trip, we stopped at El Paso Electric and they spoke about how. They were electrifying some of their bucket trucks and how that improves worker safety because it reduces noise in the working environment and the workers can um, maintain more situational awareness. And then at Z Prime, you know, we're looking at you know virtual reality, augmented reality. How can you use VR and AR to train workers in a different way? Uh, but from your perspective, Josh, I mean, we don't want every... <laughs> innovation and safety to come from, you know, a tragedy. But what needs to change so important safety solutions are developed and put into the hands of the right people 
who need them. And I guess more specifically, do you think that there is a good line of communication or at least connection between the folks who are actually on the ground using these technologies and the people who are developing them and making the decisions about implementing them? You, you perfectly teed up what my answer was going to be when, you know, to, to the question, like, what, what do we need to, you know, drive and improve safety innovation? I think we need a user perspective. Um, that's my short answer. Um, and so, you know, and, and this gets to what I was talking about before as far as diversity of backgrounds and approaches to solving a problem. <clears throat> I think safety innovation is also an area where we see a infatuation with gadgetry and infatuation with technology solutions, which don't get me wrong, that is a part of how we improve you know, public safety and employee safety, um, but that is not the full answer. And when I think about some of the AR and VR solutions out there and what's the kind of like, what, what's the next step, what's the missing link, it's basically to um, have those technologies be much more user-friendly um, and fit into the existing work processes and kind of daily lives of, of our workforce. Um, because I think a lot of the solutions, you know, early days you see is like, well, that that's a cool gadget. Um, I have no idea how I'm actually going to use it, um, you know, uh, and or that actually makes my job harder, Um it may make it a little bit safer, but it might make my job more difficult or more complicated to start with. And you know, why are those why are those the outcomes? In part, is just because you know we need to develop the technology further, and um, new stuff just requires more work. <clears throat> but I think in part. Um, we haven't started from the customer and kind of worked back to the technology. So again, what problem is that customer trying to solve? Um, what does his or her, um, you know, uh, daily job look like? Um, and how can I integrate a technology solution into that uh, daily job versus, you know, requiring that job to meaningfully change with the use of the technology? So that that's that's I think the next step is I think technically. We've really advanced from a VR and an AR standpoint, but I think we need a bit more user centricity and you know ensuring that those devices and the new technologies are just basically easier to use. I think that's really the next step. So we're looking forward to that. I mean, that's that's a that's a really interesting top level view of safety. Uh, just to get a little specific, real quick, I, I got to I'm gonna, to break Z Prime K Fave a bit here. Um, we we have we did talk to you, Josh, a little bit before you did the recording, and you mentioned something about uh, exploding manholes in New York, which is not a problem I've heard about in my neck of the woods. So I'm curious what, what that's all about and how that impacts public safety and how that impacts you. Yeah, so um, it is, so uh, the context is most of our, in the city of New York, most of our electrical network is underground, you know, dense urban environment. Uh, it's not kind of overhead power lines, as uh, distribution power lines as, as common in a lot of other places or, or particularly rural and suburban places. So particularly in late winter or early uh, spring, when you have runoff um, from salt and uh, all that stuff, there, there can be combustible gases that build up in manholes, uh, and they result in, uh, in exploding manholes. Really big public safety issue, um, important employee safety issue that we've 
been, um, in my mind, tirelessly uh, trying to address for quite some time. But a great example of how innovation doesn't always need to be sexy, we had some employees essentially come up with, um, so one of the things that you can do to reduce the severity of those explosions is to reduce the volume of available gas in a manhole. And how you do that is just put stuff in a manhole. And one of the teams internally here at Con Ed has developed basically these big burlap bags and there's perlite uh, in these bags. So that's like, um, that's the stuff that you use. Basically, it's that chalky white stuff that you would use in, in a garden. Um, and that is in these, these um, bulky bags. And um, through some testing and piloting, we've proved that that is both safe and reduces the severity and in some cases can eliminate the incidents um, in, of the, in those structures of what we refer to as manhole events and can involve exploding or kind of smoking uh, manholes. So I think that's a really great example, both of like a, a safety innovation, but also, again, you know, just to reinforce that point of we focus so much on cool and sexy gadgetry um, that this is a kind of, um, I think, maybe elegant solution uh, to an important public and employee safety issue um, that is basically bags in, man- <laughs> in manholes. And if it works, you know, who cares, right? Uh, if we if we get a, a safer city, who cares? So that's a that's an example of something that we're working on here. That's twice now that you've told a story about about there being a problem and then a solution coming from listening to your listening to your workers. And I think that kind of plays back into that diversity of thought thing that you're talking about in that decisions are, are made from the top down in this industry very often, but also there kind of is an imperative to keep to keep your ears open uh, so that you're not you know you're not dismissing anything out of hand just because it's not coming from the top. Absolutely. And if you want to talk about cultural change, I think one of the really healthy things um, that innovation can enable is empowering people uh, on the front lines um, and kind of giving them them a voice. Um, and also, again, you get you typically get better solutions that way. So uh, just as a general principle, um, people who are close to the problem that you're trying to solve often have really good thoughts and solutions on how to solve those problems. Um, and that's, you know, again, not a kind of radical principle, um, but oftentimes the people who are closest to the problems are can be relatively junior in the organization, um, and so one of the one of the things that we try to focus on from an innovation standpoint, um, and one of the things that I think uh, uh, innovation groups can contribute to the overall culture is to empower and enable those people on the front lines to bring an idea to life, to kind of um, you know have a potential solution to a problem, be heard, and ultimately be implemented. And also, I mean, I would just also say that's one of the things that is most uh, can be most gratifying um, when you see someone with a really great um, you know, solution to a problem, uh, you know, bring that solution to life. Um, you know, typically not our, you know, it's almost always not our team who has developed that solution. We're, you know, working with someone internally to make that happen. And um, just it's one of the things that when you go home uh, at the end of the day, it makes you feel like you're, you're doing something worthwhile in those, in those hours you're spending in the office. I think that's, I think that's very relevant. Things are changing culturally in the industry to better allow innovation on all fronts, be it through technology or just through simple but overlooked solutions. Uh, 
Josh, I want to thank you very much for being on today and going going over this with us. Uh, I, I learned a lot, and we're looking forward to seeing you at start. Yeah, can't wait. This was a this was a ton of fun. If um you know if if San Antonio is half as fun as this, I I, I can't wait. So thanks thanks for having me on, guys. Knock on wood, it it will be. The other starts have been a, a blast. So I think I think this one shall be too. Aaron, uh, thanks for b- being on and having this discussion about culture with us. Thank you, Dylan, and thanks, Josh. You've really left me with some things to be thinking about just now when you're talking about empowering workers. It also reminded me of um, a conversation Dylan and I, we've had on the podcast before around how utilities can use their employees, empower their employees to become advocates for them and their own communities. Um, You know, really changing the utilities relationship with the surrounding community, you know, Mary has a good idea and and Con Ed, you know, listens to it and does something about it, then she's going to go home and tell her family and her friends and all these other people about this great experience and how she got to make a change. So thanks for having this conversation. And I I think um, I I hope our listeners will enjoy it as much as I did talking about it. You can find our research and media at ETSinsights.com. You can find us on social media at D.Y. Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at Z-Prime underscore research. Start at ETS is, co- is coming up in just a couple of weeks. For information and registration, you can go to start19.co. That's start19.co. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.